excited to give you this word because church, the Holy Spirit is my favorite subject. And when Pastor Randon said, you get to kick it off on Pentecost Sunday, I thought, oh, that's the epitome. That's the summit. I reached the top because this is my favorite subject. I know what he did in me and I know what he can do in you. And when I get excited, I'm going to apologize up front. I may get a little excited today. Because you don't take something as big as God and put him on the inside of something as little as me and think that it's not going to come out. Because he's much bigger than anything I'm going through and anything I'm facing and any man I am. He is much bigger and he's going to come out. I can't hold him back. This is free. That's all free. It's not even in the notes. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Let's begin there. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That times of refreshing might come from the Lord. I don't know if anybody in here needs refreshing, but I need some refreshing. I need some reviving. I need something to just begin to generate within me and motivate me and get me moving because sometimes we get stuck where we are. But God says, you're not going to stay stuck long because I'm going to send the times of refreshing. What's interesting about the word refreshing, it comes from the Greek word anopsuxes. It actually means recovery of breath. So God is telling us there, if you get everything right in my relationship with you, I will then give you recovery of breath. I'll help you catch your breath. I'll help you be revived. And if we can sure you some reviving in our spirits. So God says, I will send times of refreshing. I will help you not succeed. I will help you recover your breath. As a matter of fact, that Greek word is where we get the root word for the word sleep apnea. Because that means where you need a recovery of breath. Anybody in here suffer from sleep apnea? Every wife nudges their husband right now. And if you say you don't, trust me, you probably do. Sleep apnea is the term that they use when you fall asleep in a reclined position and without knowing it, involuntarily, you just stop breathing. I want you to understand that it's involuntary. You don't, you're not aware that it's happening to you until your wife kicks you in the middle of the night, wakes you up because you sound like a buzzsaw. That doesn't happen to any other man in here. I beg to differ. We need to pray for liars in this room. I'm one. I will be the first to tell you. I'm the one. I'm the one. Angel said, you sound like a train. Times of refreshing. You're going to catch your breath. And you're going to recover. You're going to catch your breath. You're, you're going to catch the breath. You're going to catch the breath. And you're going to recover. Things you missed out on, you're going to recover. I don't know who that's for, but you've got to hold on to that. You're about to catch your breath. You're going to catch the breath, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to help you recover things you missed out on or unaware that slipped right by you. Things that were rightfully yours, but you weren't aware. You weren't alert enough to catch on to it. God says, I'm going to awaken you and I'm going to refresh you. I'm going to revive you. And I'm going to show you what you bypassed. And I'm going to turn you around and you're going to get your stuff. I got to move on to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Chapter 1, I want to read verses 8 through 10. We think you ought to know, dear brothers, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Listen to his description. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought that we would never live through it. Can you relate? 
crushed and thought you'd never live through it. It gets worse in verse 9. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. Let's pray together, Lord. I open my heart and my mind to your spirit. And Lord, I pray that these will not be my words, but they will be your words. That Lord, that these lips are no longer man lips, but they are your lips and voice and cry extended to this people. And Lord, whether they're in this room or over the globe, Lord, we speak to them as you have ordained because this word is for many in this room. And Lord, they will not leave here like they came. I'm expecting a great and powerful move of your spirit because, God, you don't give us an indicator and then withhold your goodness. Lord, this word is a setup for something spiritual, for something reviving and something miraculous. Lord, I have great expectations for our altar. I thank you for a move of the Holy Ghost already. I thank you that every ear and every heart and every eye is tuned in to what the spirit of the Lord is saying through these words. And Lord, it will wrap their heart, it will capture them, and it will pull them into your presence and into your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to show you a few pictures. You got the pictures for me? Take a look at these. How would you describe this scene? Anybody? This is open. Relaxing. And? Calm. Peaceful. What? Still, yeah. Anything else? Possibly escaping the cares of the world. Do you think you want to be there right now? Huh? You want to be there right now? Yeah, I close my eyes and I'm already there. Can I be honest with you? You don't want to be where these ships are right now. Because it's a little-known place called the doldrums. Anybody ever heard of the doldrums? We probably have used it more as an emotional description, something I'm going through, like, I'm just going through the doldrums. You've heard that expression before, that my life is just really dull, nothing really happening, just kind of bored right now. That's being in the doldrums. It comes from this area on the globe known as the doldrums. It is a very serious place. This is a very dangerous place if you are a ship with sails. Because in this area, there is no wind that ever blows. It is a scary place to be. So you look at these beautiful scenes and you say, wow, that's so relaxing and calm and I wish I was there. Let me tell you something. Whenever you look at what's really happening, you don't want to go there. But God sent this message to my heart to send to yours saying that some of you are in spiritual doldrums this morning. Because in this case, there is no wind, even though the sails are set, rigging is up and the anchor is, is up. There is nothing moving. It is a very dangerous place to be. 
These ships are stranded there because there's no wind. And without wind in a ship's sail, you are stuck. And if you're stuck, you're going to die. And that's what happens here in the doldrums. For hundreds of years, it is known facts. Can we go to the, uh, to the world map that I have up there? I want to show you where this is located. If you notice, it's right along the equator between South America and Africa. These are the doldrums. Real location. And what's happening here is you've got northeasterly winds and southeasterly winds that are blowing but contradicting one another, and they don't quite meet. They just blow, and right in the very middle where the winds don't meet, it just kind of leaves a dead man's zone with no wind. This is important for you to get. Because you've got the upper and the lower, which represents God and the devil. And some of you are stuck between two forces that don't quite meet. And you're stuck in the middle where two things try to come and converge. And you're stuck in the middle. And one is not wanting to, it's trying to pull you this way. And the other one's trying to pull you this way. And in the meantime, you're just stuck. The message here is don't ride the fence. Make a decision. Do something with your life. Say, I'm going to serve God 100%. I'm going to serve the, the world 100%. But make up your mind. Stop living between two worlds. Two forces that repel one another. We've got to break out of this area. But here's the scary thing about the doldrums. When ships would get caught in their hundreds of years, sailing vessels that were mighty and loaded with great wealth and great rations, when they drifted into this area... They would be there for months or possibly forever. And what would happen is they would run out of food and water rations and they would start eating each other. I'm not going to dwell on this, but I'm telling you, if you start hanging around people that are stuck in the doldrums and they're stuck between serving God and serving the world, be careful. They'll turn on you and they will eat you. They will damage you. They will harm you. They will hurt you because they haven't made up their mind yet. You need to get surrounded by people that are totally turned on to God, saying nothing in this world will ever satisfy me. But what God has for me now and what is ahead of me, that's who I'm serving. That's the goal. These two areas on the equator, two forces meet, but... They always have a cause and effect. Because when you've got northeasterly winds blowing this way and southeasterly winds and they're contradicting, what happens is there's no wind. And when there's no wind, you don't go anywhere. You're stuck. You're stranded. You are nothing. You are nowhere. It's like you're on a painted ocean. There's no wind. There's no motion. You're like a painted ship on a painted ocean. That's your life if you're stuck in the doldrums. Sometimes in these doldrums, however, massive storms do form. And the two masses begin to pull moisture from the another southern and northern hemispheres, and they begin to pull moisture together. But here's the thing. Generally, when we have storms, they are rainstorms with blowing rain, and they'll blow you in either direction. But here, because these are downward winds, 
all that happens in the massive storms that can last for days is the winds are pushed straight down, pressing down on the rain and pushing the rain into the decks of the ships. And eventually you begin to sink. If you were to look at a satellite view of this band, of this area, and you were to see an infrared, you would see shadows all along the border, darkened areas that are nothing but hulls of ships that have gone down for hundreds of years. This is the most dangerous place on earth for shipping vessels. If you don't have a motor and you drift into that area, you're in trouble. This is a place where sailing ships go to die. And it's not intentional. But it is a problem where too many good people perish where there's no air. I'm afraid that in our church culture today, we do not speak enough about the Holy Spirit. And if we don't begin to talk about the wind and the rain and the moving and the fire and the passion and the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll raise a generation that will not understand the necessity of the Holy Spirit. This is a time where we've got to declare without any shame that the power of the Holy Spirit is the way that God is moving and gets his people moving and keeps us strong and encouraged. It is simply by the power of the Holy Spirit. We learn in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 that it's not by might nor by power, but it's simply by my spirit, saith the Lord. If anything's going to get done, it's going to get done because of the spirit. It makes the difference. And I'm one of those evidences that he does. This is the physical doldrums that we have described. And I want to talk to you about the spiritual doldrums. You, you, most people are unaware that they've arrived in the doldrums. You don't know. You don't plan on charting a course to go into the doldrums. It just kind of comes upon you. Things begin to happen. So you don't just drift there. You just show up there. You didn't mean to go, but it happened. So here are some of the things that you see and maybe you've even said to show that you are living in the doldrums and you're unaware of it. Everything on the outside of your life looks fine, but something on the inside of you is saying something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's missing. People ask you, how are you? And you say, I'm okay. Just tired. My marriage is good. It's missing something. I'm doing the right things, but I'm not going anywhere. I, I pay my tithes, but I'm still in debt. I, there has to be more to life. I'm not on fire for God like I used to be. I'm not leaving God. I'm not leaving the church. It, it's just I'm just not fully alive, and I don't enjoy abundant life with Jesus anymore. Well, you say, I'm in a spiritual no man's land. I've gotten off course, and there's no wind to get me moving. I'm trying to find a way out, and I don't know what to do or where to go. And then as if no wind is not enough, then storms of life begin to come down, pressing down and drowning you, which is causing more loss and greater frustration. You're stuck in the spiritual doldrums, and you think, is this as good as it gets? Some of you in this room have even whispered those words in your spirit. Is this as good as it gets? Something is missing in my life. Something's gone. I, I can't put my finger on it. I'm doing all the right things at home and at work and at church, but I, I just don't know where my life is headed. 
I feel lost. I feel disoriented. I didn't think I'd ever be here. So you do four things. You just stop existing. You cope with it. And you do these four things when you're in the spiritual doldrums. I want to go over it with you very quickly. Number one, you start faking it. You just start faking it. You say, everything's okay. This is really not happening. It's just a season. It's going to be fine. I'll be all right. It's not that bad. Those are some of the things you say when you're in the spiritual doldrums. Because you're only trying to convince yourself that things are going to go back to normal. But you know deep inside something's missing. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 14. It says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. And peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. You can sound like you've got a cold and I'm just all stopped up. And then it, but I'm not, I don't have a cold. I don't have a cold. I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> That's denial. You're faking it. You might as well fess up. You're in trouble. Don't be stuck in the doldrums and just take it as a part of your life that you're going to get through this and everything's going to be all right. I'm telling you. You need to be careful about the doldrums and when you first enter into it and accepting it. Number two thing that happens when you're in the doldrums, you start putting it off. You just say, I don't care anymore. This is life. This is the way it's going to be. I don't care about the problems. It's just the way it is. I've settled. This is the way it's always going to be. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Basically, the scripture is saying, stop it. Don't let the cares or problems, don't accept them because they will just plant themselves in your life and they will grow. And not only will they affect your life, but it will affect others around you. So by just putting up with it, just accepting it as the norm, I'm telling you, not only you will be affected, but your house your job, your church, your position, your happiness, everything within you and around you is going to be affected if you can just settle and say, I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to go here. Third thing you do in the doldrums is you just give up. You say, it's over. I'm done. I've had enough. Job went through this. And he says this in Job 17, 13. When there is, where then is my hope? Who can see that hope for me? He's saying there's no reason to hope. I've done everything right, but God seems to keep punishing me. I'm in the doldrums. Life is dull. Life is boring. Nothing's working. Nothing's happening for me. Something's missing. Job understood what it meant to be just give up and say there's no more hope. But the fourth and most tragic place, and maybe some of you are there, is in the doldrums you just die. You just say I quit. I give up. The enemy won. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, part of our text. It says we're under great pressure and far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of our life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Paul is basically saying we're on a ship that's going down and we are as good as dead. 
Some of you have even thought of the same thing. I'm not even going to go to church anymore. I'm not even going to read. I'm not even going to pray because nothing I've ever done seems to work. I'm here to tell you the thing that's missing in your life is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He is the breath. He's the new life. He's a reviver. He's a renewer. He's the energy. He's the joy. He's the power. Everything you need is in the Holy Spirit. That is what is missing. While Paul was in this circumstance and the boat was going down and he said, we're probably going to die. Paul was then reminded of what happened to him in another shipwreck in Acts chapter 27. He is on this ship. Sailors are panicked. But Paul, through God, gets an indication. And I want this to go to somebody that is in this room and listening to us on the web who says, I am in the doldrums. I know exactly what you are ministering about. I am there right now, and I am going down for the count. Paul says this in Acts 27, 14. He says, in the midst of the, of the ship going down, and all of the panicked sailors throwing items off of the edge, they were ready to die. But Paul stood up with a declaration, and I stand here today with God's own promise that today nobody's going to die. Today, nobody's going to die because God is in this room. His spirit is in this room and God sees where you are. He knows what you are facing and he is about to show you a way out of your doldrums. You don't have to stay there. When the ship's captain says we're in the doldrums, all the men just panic and they gave up. They quit and most of them died. But I'm here to tell you, God says, I know a way out of the doldrums. I can get you out of the physical doldrums and I can get you out of the spiritual doldrums. Because God's promise to you today, write this down in your Bible, take it in your notes. But I want you to hear God's promise to you today that God is about to put the wind back in your sails. He's about to put wind back in your sails. You're going to go places and do things you never imagined. You are not done with. God is not finished with you. He says, just when you think you're down and out, I'm going to make you the up and coming. That's God's word. Here's three ways God brings refreshing. Three ways God brings refreshing to your life. First, he's going to bring it through the church. God has given us a church, a body of believers to gather weekly to come together, to worship together in a corporate way and to just sing the praises and to do our giving and our service to God. And then the word is proclaimed and we leave this church body with hope and renewed in our spirits. He's given us the church body. The church is the reviving of the body. That's the purpose for our church gathering today, to revive the body, to get you out of the doldrums. God says, I am giving you a church. The church is a place of fresh air. It is a place where people are glad that you're there and they're naturally eager to get to know you. A church is a place where you're surrounded by compassionate and committed people who want to serve you and not judge you. This is a place where the Holy Spirit blankets the building and you feel at home and you feel safe. This is a place where the atmosphere is set up so that you get to worship God instead of got to worship God. This is a get to worship God church, not a got to worship God church. 
It's not a chore to worship God. It's a joy to worship God. That's why David could say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He knew I've had a rough week, but I'm ready to get rejuvenated again. I'm ready to get my joy back. I'm ready to get a refilling. I'm ready to take on next week by going to God's house this week. God's given us the church. One of the many great things, but here's what I hear people say. The church is full of hypocrites. I don't want to go because the church is full of hypocrites. Well, I've got news for you, pal. So is hell. And that's the ones, and that's where you're going. If you don't find a church somewhere. You can say, but I go out into nature and I bow under a tree and I look at the grass and I'm amazed at what God can do. Wonderful. But it ain't no butterfly experience that you need. You need a Holy Ghost experience. And that more, that more than likely happens in a church service where people are gathered together in his name. He says, where two or more gathered by name, I am there. That means that his spirit, his power, his revival, everything you need is right there where two or more are gathered. You know those naturists that just say, oh, I just worship God in nature? I go to the lake and worship God. The beach is my sanctuary. Let me tell you, there's no beach or lake or green trees and butterflies in hell. I'm telling you, I'm going to be blunt with you. I don't think this generation hears it or not. If you forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as God's word is declared in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, you don't believe me, God's word says, don't you dare miss out on church. Go look it up. I, Hebrews 10, 26. Don't you dare miss out on church because it's at that very time that God's probably going to show up and really give you a word for you. That's going to give you hope again. But you say, oh, but I just don't feel like going. Thank you for rowing to church today. Thank you. I applaud you. You did it. You did it. And you know what? You're not going to leave here empty either. Because God is in this house. And you've been in the presence of an almighty God. And because you came to church, God is using this place to get you out of your doldrums. i got to move on. The second way God sends refreshing is through life teams. In life teams, he revives the soul. In church, he revives the body. But in life teams, it revolves, this revives the soul. You see, it's in life teams that you can get down to the nitty-gritty in those small group settings. Things that you cannot ask or say or comment on in a church body, you're able to do that in a life team. And from there, we understand where your heart is and what your mind is and what you need to know. So we as life team hosts figure out our next study is going to be on that subject because that's the heart of the life team. Follow? But there's something about friendships that are formed in a life team. Paul tells us this in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Paul describes a friendship from a man called Onesiphorus. And this is what he says in verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me. Friends can be refreshing. Friendships could be refreshing. The Greek word that Paul used to describe Onesiphorus and the refreshing experience he had when he came around was, he helps me recover my breath. He helps me breathe again. 
You have to understand, Paul spent a majority of his time in a jail cell. Not the best place in the world, but Onesiphorus, a friend that sits closer than a brother, would come and visit him. And when he would come in, he didn't bring all the drama with him. He brought in some refreshing news. He brought in some hope to Paul. He brought in some encouragement. And Paul says, he was refreshing me. There is something about friendships that you need to make because friendships can be refreshing. And maybe you're still stuck in the doldrums, unable to get out and wondering, what do I need to do to get out of this? Maybe the answer is joining a life team where you can surround yourself with some refreshing friends. Friends that will help you get your breath, help you catch your breath, help revive you, and help encourage you. Because in like teams, you're going to get to hang around people who understand you and you share a strong bond together. In like teams, people will respect and, and, and honor you just because of who you are, not where you're coming from. They'll help you in a crisis and they'll simply enjoy God time together with you. In like teams, you begin to surround yourself with people who have strong marriages, healthy families, strong finances, and similar interests. And those people's enthusiasm and attention and energy are contagious and they will begin to breathe life into your lifelessness and transform your whole environment. Your world will change when you get in signed up and get enlisted in a life team. They start next week. The tables are out there ready to go. I'm having one over the Holy Spirit for six weeks. Starting June 14th, I'm doing one right upstairs in the Alive Room on Wednesday nights. Because I think we need more about the Holy Spirit talk. That's okay. I'm just going to be up there by myself. Me and Angel. But I'm here to tell you. When this message is over and this series is done. You are going to experience more of God's Spirit than you've ever in your life. Because something new is beginning to be born in this church. And in our leaders. And in our volunteers. And it is the birth of the Holy Spirit. Say, get me back into your church and I'll change everything. Get me back into your home and I'll change everything. Because it leads me to the third way God refreshes. And that is the best way, my favorite way. He leads us through the doldrums by giving us the Holy Spirit. It's, this is where you revive your spirit. The inner man that no one else can touch and no one else understands. It's the Holy Spirit that says, I'm going to breathe on you and I'm going to move you out of where you are. It is here that in the, whenever we look at the Holy Spirit, he is in Genesis and he is in every book all the way to Revelation. He is over the entire Bible. He's over the entire world. But in Acts chapter 2, he becomes indwelling in the me. A little man like me can have the power of the Holy Spirit, the very power source of God, living and working and ruling with inside of me. It is possible. It's not a bygone thing. This is very relevant for today. But, the, but God chooses to lift up his people and pull you out of the doldrums with the Holy Spirit. Because when you study the Holy Spirit, you, he's, not, he's a real mysterious thing in the Bible. And a lot of people don't want to go into it because they feel like he's just some kind of you know, weird, uh, embarrassing, uh, outdated kind of uh, a source. But he is the source of power. 
He is not really that mysterious. When you let your guard down and say, God, I want it all, then he says, and I'll give you the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, now I'm resurrected from the grave. I've got to go to heaven so that I can send the Holy Spirit. He was saying, my work is done. Now you're not going to be left alone just because I'm going to heaven. I'm sending you the, the one that is going to bring you into all truth, the one who's going to reveal all mysteries, the one who's going to give you life, the one who's going to open the word of God and reveal to you what is hidden. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. He's saying you need this Holy Spirit to experience what you are about to experience. In him we live, we move, and we have our being, the Bible says. Without the Spirit, we are nothing. We're just lifeless. We're just forms of godliness. But because we don't uh, accept the baptism of the Spirit, we are denying the power of God. But throughout the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit who is always present. In Genesis chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is the breath of life. We see this in Genesis 2-7 where it says, Then God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Until the breath was poured into Adam's shape, he was nothing more than just a ball of dust. He was nothing more than just a form. But that form had to come to life when the Spirit breathed on him. Right now, some of you have never experienced the baptism of the Spirit. But I'm here to tell you, you're just going through a form of godliness. You haven't reached the summit. You haven't gotten to the top yet. It's the baptism experience that takes you to the top and beyond. And it gets better and better whenever you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it was this formless life in Adam that only came to life when the Holy Spirit spoke to him and breathed in him. In Ezekiel chapter 37, the spirit is the wind. We know the story of the prophet Ezekiel that was taken to this mountaintop and he looked down into the valley and saw nothing but dry bones. He saw nothing but brokenness. He saw nothing but death. These were people who had once been alive, but they are now dead and all hope was gone. They were dead. And God tells the prophet, speak to these bones, Ezekiel, and watch what happens. So Ezekiel, by faith, spoke the word of God and commanded the bones to come together. That was a great step, and that was a miracle. It said that the bones rattled, and you could hear it echoing through the mountain valleys. But that was not enough, because even though the bones were together, flesh to flesh and bone to bone, something was still missing. So God told the prophet Ezekiel, now prophesy to the wind, prophesy to the wind, and see what happens. And Ezekiel began to pray to the wind, the Holy Spirit. And he began to pray, wind of God, come into these bones. And before the end of the prayer, the bones not only were standing erect, but they became a great army. That's how it's described in Ezekiel 37. I can tell you, you may have that form of godliness, but when the wind of the Spirit takes over, you're going to be a mighty soldier in the army of the Lord. You're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And the enemy won't be able to play around with your mind, with your family, with your finances, with your health. Because you're going to have a new surge in your spirit. And it's going to be the reviving of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20. The Holy Spirit is the reviver. He's the one that revives them. What's happening in John chapter 20, Jesus has just resurrected from the dead. And the disciples are hiding out 
in a home, panicked that they were going to be next, that they were going to be the ones that the religious people killed because they would not deny Jesus. So they hid. These were a fearful people hiding and not following their calling. But then Jesus shows up in the room and he says, peace, peace. And calm overtook the fear. Now, when he said peace, he didn't just stop there. He says, what you're about to go through, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 20 and 22, it says that he breathed on his disciples and they were filled with the Spirit. What he was doing was he was equipping them. They weren't ready for the task that was before them. They knew their life was on the line. And until he breathed on them, they did not have the gall or the want to or the desire to get out of that house of hiding because they were afraid for their life. But the moment he breathed on his disciples and be filled with the spirit, he said to them, I'm telling you, in something awoke in them. First came the word, just like Ezekiel 37. First the word, then the spirit. Jesus did the same thing here. First he spoke, and then the spirit. He breathed on them, and they became a great and mighty believing army, and new hope and new beginnings filled their life. John, in, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is the power. He's the source. Acts chapter 1 Verse 1 says this. I write these things to you, O Theophilus, of the things which Jesus began. I find that word very interesting. I find that scripture very interesting. Because we thought Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. That we didn't have to lift a finger. But it's interesting that Luke, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, who is writing to his friend Theophilus, all that happened in the church's lifetime, Luke is writing and he says, I'm writing to you about all the things that Jesus began. In other words, Jesus started a work and is now passing the baton of greatness onto all of us, saying that it is now your responsibility to pick up where I left off. I finished my part by dying on your behalf on an old rugged cross which your blood was not strong enough or pure enough to cleanse. So I took that and I finished that. But the work that I started to seek and save the loss at any cost, that's still your responsibility. And if you're going to be effective, you're going to need the power of the Holy Ghost to do this. There's no stopping short of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There is no reason you have to stop and say, I've got enough, God. That's, I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. God says, but there's more. I know God, but I'm satisfied. I'm telling you, if you ever stop and just say, God, I'm not going to limit you in any way. I want you to come in all your might and all your power and all your spirit. And I want you just to have your way with me. I'm open. I'm ready. I'm available. Watch out, baby, because things are about to turn around in your life. You're coming out of the doldrums, and you're not just going to just coast out. God's going to put a wind in your sails that's going to shoot you out into new waters, new territories, and new kingdoms to take. You are ready for this when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we see a stuck and burned out, scared bunch of believers 
who were once and for all empowered in Acts chapter 2 with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were empowered to carry Jesus' message and mission to save the world through many signs and wonders. Not once did they ever quit and give up and get afraid and stop. They continued to go. There were many times where the disciples, after the infilling of the Spirit, were warned, don't preach or teach in the name of Jesus but it was with the boldness of the Holy Spirit within them. They'd go back to their prayer groups and their life teams and they'd say they told us to stop teaching in Jesus' name. But what are we going to do? We're going to pray for more of the Holy Ghost. We're going to pray more for God to come down and give us more word and more ministry opportunities. They did not stop what was different in them. It was they were no longer stuck and burned out and no longer just these mediocre believers. They were now Holy Ghost-filled believers. Jesus passed his baton of greatness into our lives. And it was at that point, in Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, the birth of the Pentecostal church, it was there they became the unstoppable force. When the Holy Spirit takes over your soul, you become an unstoppable force. It is another step Beyond salvation. Some of you wonder, well, I'm born again. I got Jesus in my heart. I've been water baptized. Isn't that enough? That's enough to get you to heaven. But what about this side of heaven? What are you doing to make a difference? The Holy Spirit is for us on this side of heaven. Jesus took care of our passage into heaven. But this is the way we work and we move and we live and we are in this time before we go to heaven. He says, you don't just sit there and go to church and warm up you. I need you busy every day and every hour. I want you to have divine connections. And I want you to be sensitive to my divine connections. I want you to hear my voice when I tell you, go pray for the person in front of you in the grocery store line. That's the Spirit of God telling you to do that. It's not your own human flesh. Your human flesh says, I'm not doing that. I'm embarrassed to. But it's the Spirit living within you that says, go the extra step. Tell them that I love them and pray for them right then and there. You're in the football game or the basketball bleachers and you're just sitting next to somebody and God tells you, whisper this to them. And you've got to be sensitive and you do that. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. What it is is you've allowed yourself to step over into a new power source, a new upper level that you don't get with just salvation. Salvation gets you into heaven, but the Spirit gets you here on earth getting others ready for heaven. You've got to be about the Father's business, but you've got to have the weapons of God. And one of the greatest weapons is the Holy Spirit. I know what a difference he made in my life. I'm thoroughly convinced. You can't touch me when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You can't tell me it's over and that it's just, it's just emotions. It's more than goosebumps. The Holy Spirit is a real person in the Godhead whose work is now. God sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. Now he is sent to work in our lives. He is not finished. And he's waiting for a church to wake itself up and say, oh, I don't want to stay where I am. I want more from you. I'm, I'm good, but Lord, I know there's more. There's got to be more. Yes, there is. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to close with this. So many of you can relate to being in spiritual dormant. You have done everything right. You've said 
you've gone, you've done, you've prepped, you've done it all. The pictures that I showed you earlier, there was a sailing vessel that had its sails raised. You can have everything ready, your sails up, your rigging tied off, your anchor pulled. You can still be stuck where you are spiritually. Everything's ready. But what's missing is the wind. Some of you, this message has finally caught your attention because now you're beginning to put a finger on what's been missing. Things are good, but I know God wants to make them better. And he's going to do that when he puts wind back in your spiritual sails. But some of you have lowered your sails, have dropped the anchor, and have just accepted that this is as good as it gets. I'm here to tell you, as one who has truly believed and truly experienced the magnificence of God's Spirit, you need to raise those sails today and get your rigging right and get that anchor out of the water because God's ready to set you on a new course. God's ready to blow wind into your sails and give you recovery and to give you some fresh air in your life. It is time for you to stop just living in the mediocrity and he's ready for you to step it up. In closing, God says, I see what effort you put into it. But now if you'll yield to my spirit, he will do the rest for you. You see, he's the one that has come to lead you into all truth. You're not taking the spirit where you need to go. The Spirit's going to take you where you need to go. But you need Him moving in your life. You need Him reviving your life. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been fired up about anything. Or maybe you're in a rut and you don't know how to move forward. In your heart right now, I want you to begin to hear a rushing wind beginning to stir in your soul. You're not going to hear it in the building, but you're going to hear it in your spirit. I feel something changing this morning. Something's moving that I haven't felt in a long time. I, I'm, I'm excited about this next step in my life, God. I don't understand what it is and where it's taking me, but I am, I, I, I feel something's changing, Lord, and I, I'm ready. I want you to know that you're going to go places that you've never imagined, and you're going to do amazing things in Jesus' name. The storm you're going through is not going to take you down. God says, I'm going to bring the storm out of your life, and I'm going to push you through it, and I'm going to put you in calm, clear, beautiful wind wind strong waters and you're going to go places and you're going to do things and you're going to be amazing at serving life 